If you're a health entrepreneur, coach, or practitioner that wants to turn your expertise into a high six or seven figure virtual business with less stress, so you can impact more people at a deeper level while making more money and enjoying a greater quality of life in the process, then the Health Printer Podcast is for you. I'm your host, Uriel Kame. I'm a former pro athlete, leading health expert, New York Times bestselling author, and the founder of Healthpreneur, where I help experts just like you create and fill high-end virtual coaching programs that create dream come true results for your clients. Now, for a free and in-depth training on how to do just that without manual prospecting, one-on-one coaching, or having to spend years building your online following, head on over to healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash training and jump on to our seven-figure health business blueprint training today. And now, let's get to today's episode. Hey, hey, what's up? Welcome back to the show. Yuri here and hope you're having a great day. And we've got a great guest on today's show, as we always do. So his name is James Schmachtenberger, a really, really cool name. I love German last names. They're so cool. I love the German language in general. Um, But anyways, he's American. He lives in San Diego. He's an entrepreneur, educator, and social activist in the wellness and technology fields. And you may know him or may not know him as one of the founders of the Neurohacker Collective team which is, as you'll discover in our conversation, a pretty amazing company doing some pretty amazing things. You might be most familiar with their product called Qualia, which is a groundbreaking nootropic supplement designed to optimize cognitive and emotional capacity across a broad spectrum of abilities. Now, here's the cool thing about James. Um, He has a really interesting upbringing. So he was homeschooled from a young age in Fairfield, Iowa, which is kind of a hub of transcendental meditation. And that led him into some, you know, a a nice kind of interest for mindfulness and and so forth. Then he ends up managing a book company in his teens, buys a naturopathic college when he's just 18 years old, which he ran for nearly a decade. And we're going to talk about how all this happened and some of the things he had to go through to make that happen and the lessons learned. Uh, But it's just really, really cool, a really cool history, really cool story. And what I love about our conversation is that James is very, very focused on building a business and doing good in the world that, again, is mission-driven. It's not just about profit. It's not just about money. Yes, that's important, but really coming from a place of service. And I think you'll really, really enjoy this episode to really pick up on the lessons he's learned and the lessons that I think will really help you as well. Um, Oh yeah, and he's a TEDx speaker, so not too bad at all. So anyways, without any further ado, let's welcome James Schmachtenberger to the podcast. James, welcome to the Healthpreneur Podcast. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. So I'm excited to dive in because you are one of the founders of um, a really, really successful brand and, and company called the Neurohacker Collective. Really quickly, tell our audience what that is if they haven't heard or seen the ads all over the internet. Hmm. Yeah, so Neurohacker Collective is a company that we founded to essentially take a complex system science approach to understanding and addressing both physiological challenges as well as moving in the direction of human optimization. So our, our focus as a whole is modeling new types of science to be able to have greater impact in both addressing challenges and moving people in the direction that they want. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we're most known for is our product called Qualia, which is a broad spectrum cognitive enhancer, which is the domain that we began focusing in. Cool. So what else, what other, what are the products have you developed since then? So the first you know, long period of the company, we really focused predominantly on brain function. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything we've put out to date is within that domain. But we actually just finished development on a new product that's geared towards energy. So uh, increasing mitochondrial function, supporting uh, better ATP production, et cetera, for improving overall cellular health and hopefully moving in the direction of uh, life extension. Mm-hmm. And so that product right now is going into testing with plans of coming out around the end of this year. Awesome. Um, and we're now in development on products that are going to be focused on uh, both sleep and anxiety as our next two major domains. Very cool. That's great. So how, like, I mean, we've had a lot of people on the show who have supplements, physical products. It's always cool to hear the journey of how that all started or the, you know, the trials and tribulations of having this type of business. I mean, you guys, you guys have a, a pretty cool collective um, of some pretty smart people on the team and in the company. How did you go about, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Did we just get cut off there, James? Sorry, the audio. Yeah, I, I lost you audio-wise for just a moment. Could you repeat the question? Yeah, sorry. I was saying that you guys have a pretty cool collective of, of some pretty awesome experts in this space. And, you know, when we look at, you know, when you're looking at the market of supplements or, or um, nootropics or physical products, how did you guys look at, from a, I guess from a marketing perspective, how did you guys look at what was out there or did you guys look at what was out there? To, to look at, okay, how do we make this better? How do we make it unique? What, it, what was the thinking process in that with Qualia, I guess? And is that the same process you guys are now taking with your other products? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think for us, part of what's actually made us successful is that we didn't think about any of this through a lens of marketing. Um, we, you know, we didn't start the company based on looking at you know, where there was a hole in the market or where we thought we could differentiate from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. We really started more from the standpoint of wondering how we could be of greatest service. Um, so myself and the other co-founders of the company have all spent much of our lives focused on different kinds of nonprofit endeavors and uh, running think tanks focused on addressing large scale global issues. And it was from that sort of place that the company arose mm-hmm. um, experiences that I had a number of years ago one thing that became very evident was that the number of problems that are facing the world are far exceeding the amount of people that are working on addressing them and the amount of resources that are present in that domain and that if we wanted to be able to make a substantial change we couldn't just address individual issues but we actually had to increase the number of people who both had the capacity and the drive to want to address the hard problems. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of brought about the question of, you know, was there a means through chemistry, uh, you know, through supporting people's mind, brain, et cetera, that we could profoundly increase their intelligence, their capacity, their motivation. And you know, one of the keys that we were looking at was, could we increase people's, ability to empathize, to understand and feel interconnectedness, 
so that as they begin to become more intelligent, more capable, more motivated, there is an intrinsic orientation to use that motivation, not only for personal gain, but also for the greater good. Awesome. So that's sort of the impetus behind why we set out to do this. Um, I love it. That's good. And then, it, it's refreshing too, because you know there are people that, not that there's a right or wrong way to do it, but it's nice to to have a perspective of coming from more of a mission-driven place of being of greater service than about, all right, what's the average order of value on this? How do we really hit this out of the park? Which I'm sure is part of the discussion, but it's nice to have that foundation coming from that, that intention of mission-driven. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, there there's unquestionably business elements and that always has to get brought to bear. Yep. For us, the recognition was that if we were going to actually deliver on a mission in any meaningful scale, we had to have a lot of resources backing us to do that. And that meant we had to build a very successful and profitable company in order to continually advance our research and be able to bring more support and solutions out to the world. Mm-hmm. So the, the two are you know, for sure tied. Yeah. So you've got an interesting uh, upbringing. You, in your mid-teens, already had, you were managing a book company. Uh, and you bought a naturopathic college in San Diego when you were 18 years old and ran that for nearly a decade. I mean, most teenagers are not doing that kind of stuff. So what happened? Like, how did, like, were you influenced by entrepreneurial parents? Um, You mentioned growing up in the TM, Transcendental Meditation Community in Fairfield, Iowa. Was was your upbringing uh, an important factor in those kind of entrepreneurial endeavors in your teenage years and then eventually to where you are now? Absolutely. Um, I would say less from an entrepreneurial standpoint, though, and more from an education standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no question I was definitely exposed to entrepreneurial thinking growing up. Uh, both my parents had started their own companies and I you know, worked for them as a kid and like, I had those exposures. But... I think the the thing that was probably the most relevant and important was that I, I was fortunate to come up with a kind of deep love for and desire to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, both my brother and I were went to school sort of part of the time and then were homeschooled off and on. Um, as a whole, I was homeschooled more than I went to traditional school. And without a sort of formal structure to the education. So we didn't have, you know, periods where we would sit down and study math or study English. One of the aspects of the educational philosophy that came out was the recognition that, you know, children have a very natural curiosity about life. And if we can tap into that curiosity and be able to support it, then it'll unfold in unknown and often remarkable ways. Um, And so I was really fortunate that whatever it was that I had interest in, then my parents started to design ways for me to get more involved in it and to study it. And, um, you know, that just increased my desire to learn, my desire to contribute. Um, And some of the ways in which that showed up early on was that different aspects of what I was curious about also led into activism. So part of my education as a kid was, going door to door, raising money for Greenpeace and human rights campaign and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of got imprinted at a very deep level. And so then as I grew up, I just had this really strong passion to continue to learn and then to use what I was learning to serve. That's and awesome. that played into uh, what has now been starting quite a number of companies over the years. 
So talk to me about some of the lessons, if, if you can even distinguish them between the different things I'm about to mention. What are the lessons that you learn from going door to door, asking people for donations? What's the lesson you learn from running a naturopathic college at 18 years old? What is the lesson you learned and took through through life from being exposed and practicing transcendental meditation uh, from an early age? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great questions. So as far as doing the door-to-door work, um, there's a lot that I learned from that. Part of it was, you know, as a kid, going door-to-door trying to raise money for the environment, I just sort of thought that this would be a universally appreciated thing, that everyone would care about the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out that I was wrong. <laughs> and there was a lot of people with very differing viewpoints. And, you know, that oftentimes thought that the idea of the environment was just some hippie thing. And so getting exposed to a lot of different ways of thinking and uh, different kind of mental frames gave me an opportunity to understand sort of the diversity that's present in the world and to step outside of my bubble. And that anytime I think something is just a given, that I'm likely alienating some large percentage of the population and creating a disconnect. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's important to actually take the time to understand the world from all of its different lenses if you want to make sense of it. So I think that was one of the key things. And then another big lesson there was just that rejection doesn't matter that much. Going door to door raising money, you get turned down far more often than you get yeses. Sure. And you know it can be something that can be really demoralizing, or you can recognize that it's just sort of a odds game, yep. and decide to you know not get stir- discouraged and continue to go and you know, hit up the next door and inevitably make your goals. Um, so that, those were some of the key things that I think I got to learn in that area. As far as the college goes, I mean, that was unquestionably one of the biggest learning experiences of my life. As you can imagine, buying a college at 18 was um, sort of a, <laughs> a big undertaking and very much shifted the way that the rest of my life unfolded. Can I ask you how you how you had the money to buy a college? Like, what, were you like washing cars and that, did you have a paper route from the age of like five and you just saved up all this money? Or did you get other people involved to raise those funds? No, I absolutely had to get other people involved. So I was 18. I had my first credit card. So I, I put down a $1,500 deposit on my credit card just to buy me time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things where I was just utterly clear that this was what I needed to do with the next phase of my life. And it was there was so much passion around it that not achieving it wasn't really going to be an option. And so after I had the conversation with the founder of the school and I gave him the deposit, I went home and I just wrote out a list of everyone that I had met in my life that seemed to have more money than they actually needed. Mm-hmm. That's and, a good list. <laughs> right. and then the next morning I just started going down the list and calling every single person. And I was like, Hey, I know I haven't spoken to you in 15 years, but I'm buying a college and I really need a loan. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and um, as, as you can imagine, you know, a lot of people didn't think that was the greatest idea. Uh, uh, but it actually worked out and it only took about four or five days of just back to back phone calls before I had enough money raised to be able to close the deal. 
So can I ask you, what was it about the people that, that backed you? What was it about them that they saw potential in this for them? Like, was it something about you or the investment opportunity or both? Like, what was, what was unique about those individuals and, and that relationship with them? You know, I think that for a number of them, they were just excited to see passion mm-hmm. and they wanted to support that. And I, I think majority of people probably didn't ever expect to see the money back again. Yep. Um, but they just wanted to encourage and were excited by the kind of passion that was present. Um, the, <clears throat> you know, there was one person in particular, though, that kind of stood out. There was a man I got introduced to during that time who was a retired CPA, and he was in his late 70s. Um, and I ended up getting him to put up a loan for about half of what I had to get together. Mm-hmm. And not only did he put up a loan, but he actually then kind of stepped in and became a mentor to me for the first few years and helped me understand finances and you know, how to balance books and all of that. Cool. Um, and again, again, I think his, his drive was passion because he was, you know, he was a seasoned financial guy. You could probably tell that this wasn't the best choice from just a straight economic standpoint to give a bunch of money to an 18 year old. Um, but it, it made a huge difference. And, you know, if it wasn't for him taking a risk on me and for the sort of desire to mentor, I don't know that that would have become an option. And so I think that has always stood out to me as an area that I've wanted to serve and make sure that, you know, when other people are up and coming in entrepreneurship, especially around health and wellness, that if there is the ability to kind of lend a helping hand or mentor or take a risk on people, that it's often very worth doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm wondering if that would have been a different outcome had you been 40 years old asking for the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. There's something about, there's something about this like, you, you want to support those younger people. You want to support that dream. And that's that's really cool. So, I mean, a lot of what you do now is very mission-driven. And what if, I mean, what advice do you give to somebody who's starting their own company, whether it's supplement-based, whether it's in the health and fitness space or not? Like, what advice do you give to them to help them succeed, considering that most businesses don't enjoy the type of success that you've enjoyed? Right. <clears throat> So I think the main thing, you know, there's, there's of course all kinds of like business tips and tricks and the best ways to market and all kinds of stuff along those lines. And for the most part, I don't think any of that matters that much. Um, I think what matters in order to have success is to do something that is something you can be deeply proud of and that is really uniquely you. So not to focus on, you know, where is there just a hole in the market or where can I, you know, white label the next product and, you know, hopefully market it effectively. But what can I do that actually takes the life lessons that I've learned that takes into account my unique propensities and how do I turn that into something that can make a difference? And that's really where I think the success comes from. Cause I mean, as, as most of us know that have been in entrepreneurial ventures for a while, sometimes it can be quite difficult. And there has to be a reason to push through the difficulties other than just money. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, 
you may very well push through for the purposes of money, but that doesn't tend to be very fulfilling, especially over a long period. And so I, I think what matters the most is find the way that you feel like you can most uniquely contribute and where you can wake up each morning feeling excited and passionate about the way that you get to serve people and then do that thing and do it full out. So some people talk about like customers, clients, they don't care about you. They just care about their own problems and desires. And mm -hmm. how do you see that fitting in with kind of sharing your message, building a company built around a big why instead of just focus on problem solution? Are they mutually exclusive or do you think they work together? No, I think they, I mean, I think they work together, right? So this idea that you know, clients don't necessarily care about you, they care about whatever their challenge is. So part of the mission is serve that challenge, right? Most of the challenges are not entirely unique to a single individual. They follow certain principles that are challenges across large numbers of people. And so if you're serving those challenges, you're giving the clients exactly what they need and able to be oriented around a mission that can be deeply compelling. Yep. That makes sense. And cause like, I think it's cause I, we've, we've spoken to a few people um, in our space who they, they kind of grasp, they're trying to like, they're struggling with like, okay, okay, I don't want this to be about me. I don't want this to be about my mission, which is, you know, they're, they're passionate about it. But at the same time, they're like, you know, customers don't care about, you know, my story. They just care about their, their thing, their problem, their challenge. Um, but, I, but I do agree with you that, you know, weaving the two together is, is very important. Um, and I find that in, in some cases, some people even go off on the, on the other end where it's like, it's all about them. It's all about their story. It's all about how cool they are. And they kind of forget about their customers altogether um, in, in some way, shape or form. So I think right. is, the mission shouldn't be how do you make famous? Yeah. Right. Like if, if the mission is just to bring attention to yourself and your story, there's probably something off Yeah. Uh, there. Cause I mean, ultimately it should be about you know, what are, what are the outcomes that you're able to achieve? Like how are you able to actually create value into the world? And to the extent that telling your story furthers that, then that should be a big piece of it. But if you create a company where, you know, there's no individual personality attached to it. And it really is just, you know, a set of products or services that can make a big difference. And that's what is compelling people, then focus on that. Mm -hmm. um, the goal should be impact first and wanting to get an individual story out less, unless that's actually the necessary piece. Obviously, some people who have these deeply inspiring personal stories where sharing of the story is actually what's creating motivation for their audience. Mm -hmm. But outside of a dynamic like that, let the desire to tell the personal story be secondary to what outcome you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if that's getting more clouded nowadays, especially considering the rise of like, quote unquote, the influencer, right? Yeah. Like Instagram and it's like, hey, here's how cool I look. Here's a picture of my butt. And I wonder if more and more people are thinking that's looking at my Instagram again. what's that? I said, have you been looking at my Instagram again? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, but it, it's so funny because we, I mean, it, it's, it's so interesting. Like if you're, if you're spending a lot of your time, obviously within any environment, you become a reflection of that eventually. And it's like, guys, like, 
okay, this person has 10 million followers and they're posting pictures of them in a bikini. How, like, in my mind, how is that really, how is that a business? How is that solving people's problems? How is that inspiring people? And so I think it's like, it's important to kind of take it in context and just kind of take it with a grain of sand or a grain of salt and really focus on what matters most, which is serving people instead of like serving your own, you know, ego or narcissistic desires. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I do agree. It's becoming an increasingly harder challenge, you know, with the fact that social media is such a huge part of our lives and that there's kind of now a structural orientation from the technology we use around becoming more narcissistic. It's actually a thing that has to be worked on. Otherwise it just seems to occur. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really cause any benefit no matter how many followers you have if what they're doing is basically just celebrating you as an individual, like that's not, it, it can feel good, but it's not clear where that's going to actually provide real value to people. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people, you know, that get into that space and they're like, Oh, you know, I just want to inspire people to live like me. Um, which is a beautiful concept, although it's actually deeply unsustainable. Right? If large percentages of the population were to, stop doing the things that they're doing and just focus on having fun and taking photos of themselves in the process that doesn't actually become a sustainable model for the world Mm -hmm. that utilizing a lot more resources than it contributes. And so I think that letting go of some of the propensities to just want to be celebrated and instead focus on the ways of contribution and then allow being celebrated for that to just be something that naturally unfolds. Yeah. Well, I think it reflects, you know, a lot of people talk about, would you rather be rich or famous? And I think most people would rather be famous than rich, you know, for the sake of wanting to be uh, adored by others. But when we talk about being rich, like the way I see me, like the way I see money is only ever a byproduct of impact. So, the more impact you create, the more contribution you have, the more money you make as a result of that. And so I agree with you, like focusing on really being a service needs to be first and foremost with any business because I think that's the purpose of business is to be of service to a segment of the market in some way, shape or form. So yeah, it's it's an interesting time we live in and it's I think it, it can obviously it can be used for good. It can be like with anything, it can be used for not so good. Um, cool. Yeah. So well, to what you're speaking to, I think there's actually... From a like financial standpoint, there's a long-term sustainability around that approach that doesn't show up in most of the normal approaches to business. Yeah, it, most of business is oriented around how do you make as much money as possible, regardless of the consequence. Um, and though that can turn quite a lot of profit in the short term, it isn't something that tends to work over a long duration very well. You know, like throughout my career, I've focused very much on making sure that the people that I worked with were not only well taken care of financially, but that they felt really supported and honored and appreciated for the work that they were doing. And you know, one of the things that's been really fortunate is that as I've progressed and done different and larger ventures over the years, pretty much everyone that I've worked with, regardless of the capacity it was in, has wanted to move forward and continue to work together. Yep. And that makes the ability to continually progress and do bigger and better things far easier when you have that kind of loyalty 
back to the yeah, to totally. engage with. And that only happens yeah, to treat people well. Are you, a, are you a sports fan? I'm not. I love playing sports, but I've never gotten around to watching them. So I'm going to give you a quick analogy that um, resonates with me. So I, I played soccer my whole life up until I was 25. And, and in Toronto, we have a team called Toronto FC, which they're the MLS champions from last year. And Toronto has been in the MLS, which is the soccer league in, in North America, for 10 or 11 years. They were the worst team for about seven of those years. Like dead last, teams would like love to go to play them just to like get the points. And mm-hmm. the the challenge in those first seven years is that every single year there was a new coach, sometimes two in the same season, new players all the time. There's no consistency. It was all short-term thinking, very, you know, very much like a political campaign. It's only like for the short term. And then the upper management made a decision to say, listen, we're going to make a decision to have some stability. We're going to think about the long term in spite of the short term consequences, which, you know, you know, maybe a lack of results or whatever it might be. And they did that about four or five years ago. They brought in one coach. That same coach is still the head coach. They brought in a number of key players. Those key players are still there. And they brought in a few players here and there to support them um, that have been a bit different over the years. But for the most part, they have had a, I would say 80% has been, you know, in terms of the personnel and team has been the same. And they've arguably been now named as of last year, the best team of all time in the MLS. And I think it goes back to what you're talking about here is really doing things that are better for the long term, in spite of the fact that maybe tomorrow you're not going to see the results, but being that long-term vision and sticking to that, I usually think in most cases is going to lead to better outcomes for business, for for you know person uh, personal welfare, whatever it might be, and so I just kind of thought of sharing that as you as we were talking about this kind of longer term vision approach. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a great example, and absolutely agree. Sometimes it can be a bit of a slower burn when you take a bigger picture, longer term approach, but inevitably it allows you to create far better results and usually far more profitable companies. Yeah. yeah. And it just takes a little bit longer, but ends up doing it in much more sustainable and, and ultimately fulfilling ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah and, and I think there's a lot of people too, who start off as kind of starting off with a lifestyle business where they want to live like the laptop lifestyle and they live in Thailand for a couple months and they travel the world. Mm-hmm. And Probably every single person I know who's lived that type of lifestyle eventually gets to the point where they're like, you know what? I want to build something more meaningful. Right. And it's not about, you know, sending affiliate traffic to a specific product anymore. It's about how do I build a culture? How do I build a legacy type of business that is about something I really believe in, is about a a bigger mission? And it's funny how almost everyone that I'm aware of that has lived that laptop lifestyle eventually comes full circle to be like, you know, what do I want? What, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? So I think it is an important question for all of our listeners to really think about. It's not just about making money. It's not just about like having all the freedom in the world because correct me if I'm wrong, James, maybe you feel this too. Is like, if you love what you do, you don't really need to take a vacation from your work all the time. Like it's, it's sure there's some balance, but it's like, if you do what you're, lo- if you're in the business doing stuff you love to do is very different from being in a business doing stuff you hate doing. And if you can find that balance, I think it's that's really where you know a lot of the sweets what happens in terms of personal fulfillment, and then obviously the impact you create within the business as well as out into the world. Yeah, absolutely, totally in agreement. 
So I personally had that journey. You know, I did the lifestyle thing for probably most of two years. Worked yeah. maybe five hours a week. Um, Four hour work week. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and and there's no question it was super fun, and you know, I was doing Spartan races every month, and just like I was having a great time, and there was. There was definitely a desire that was building more and more to be able to contribute in much larger fashions. And so, you know, I kind of considered that a reset period and then dove in. Yeah. And it's probably important to go through that because otherwise you don't have the contrast, right? You don't know what you want or what you don't like. And so everything happens for us, right? Everything's a journey. It's all meant to be. So, um, James, this has been really, really insightful. Are you ready for the rapid five? I believe so. Okay, so five rapid fire questions. Whatever answer is top of mind is probably the right answer. So here we go. Number one, what is your biggest weakness? Um, organization. Number two, <laughs> what is your biggest strength? Deeply caring about the world around me. Nice. Number three, what's one skill you become dangerously good at in order to grow your business? Um... I want to say attention to detail. Cool. Number four, what do you do first thing in the morning? Take qualia. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, And finally, complete this sentence. I know I'm being successful when? I wake up excited about what I'm going to do that day. Awesome. Wicked. Uh, James, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun. What is the best place for our listeners to stalk you online? Obviously not stalk you, but follow you um, and and learn more about Qualia and the Neurohacker Collective. Um, Well, personally, I can be found on Facebook, uh, James Schmachtenberger. But I would say the main place would be to check out neurohacker.com. Cool. That's a great URL, by the way. I'm sure, I'm sure that wasn't just hanging around. No, no, that took some hunting and, and a decent amount of money to get a hold of that. <laughs> I bet. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link up to those links for you guys in the show notes. Uh, James, once again, thank you so much for being with us on the show and and, and just you know a, a word of appreciation for your commitment to just really doing good in the world because I think everyone listening here can really get a sense of the fact that, you know, you have a a mission of caring for people, for this world and for doing work that is meaningful and and being able to have that type of impact. So thank you so much for showing up as who you are and doing the work that you do. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. This was good. Boom. Hope you enjoyed that one today, guys. Fun conversation. I know we had a, a couple little audio disruptions in there, but it's all good. We got the message across and hopefully you felt inspired by James's message. Again, if you want to check out their stuff, uh, really, really cool products. If you're somebody who wants uh, enhanced cognitive function and you're into the whole biohacking, neurohacking, improved brain function type of space, check out Qualia. Qualia. I haven't personally used it yet, um, but I know a number of friends who use it and uh, really enjoy it. So check it out. And if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, we've got lots more good stuff coming your way, including some solo rounds, We're also starting to introduce some more mindset-based conversations with our results coaches. So these are the coaches that help our clients get great results in their businesses. And every week, we're gonna be bringing up discussions about what are some of the challenges that these 
people are dealing with, like our clients, but also everyone else who runs their own business. And we're gonna dissect them, we're gonna give some really cool pointers and some, uh, some actionable tips and strategies to help you improve your mind, become more unstoppable, more confident, to really move forward with your business. So we're gonna be injecting some more of those audios, those more of those, um, those sessions into the podcast in the coming weeks. So don't go anywhere. We've got lots of good stuff coming your way to help you take your business to the next level. Again, be sure to subscribe to the Health Pruner Podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to leave a five-star rating or review if you've enjoyed this. And I look forward to seeing you in our next episode. So in the meantime, Continue to go out there, be great, do great, and we'll see you then.